Today's guest is truly transatlantic, having appeared in Miss Saigon and Chicago in both London and New York. She's also been seen in London in Children of Eden, She Loves Me and Crazy for You, and on Broadway in Putting It Together, among her many credits, with many of those credits being before she was barely out of her teens. Welcome to the American Theatre Wing's Downstage Center. I'm Howard Sherman, Executive Director of the American Theatre Wing, and I'm very pleased to have the opportunity to meet Ruthie Henschel. Hi, Ruthie. Hello. So, Chicago, you seem to keep coming back to it, both in London and New York. I know. When I, when I did Thelma here, um, I, I left the show and um, the cast gave me a farewell and somebody shouted from the back, you'll be back. And I said, no, I never go back to shows. I've done Roxy and I've done Velma now. I won't be back. I think this is the fifth time <laughs> that I've been back. Um, because you, that they are two of the most amazing female roles in musical theatre. And, um, you know, it, you get spoilt rotten by them. But what's so fascinating is, in case it went by for our listeners too quickly, you've played both roles, mm-hmm. which is pretty unusual. Often people are cast because they fit a certain role in a show. You've played – there aren't that many musicals with two strong female leads, but you've mm-hmm. gotten to play both. And you've been playing them now, if I've got my chronology right – over a period of 13 years. That's right, yes. So you started out originally in London, the original London company, as Roxy. that's right. When did you then switch to Velma? Well, I came over here. I'd I'd done a year in in England, in the West End, and I decided that I was going to come over to New York and make my way in the Big Apple. And so I came over here with my three suitcases – and um, I ha- happened to bump into Walter Bobby at uh, a benefit. The show's director. The d- show's director. And he said, um, we're looking for a Velma. He said, you've always struck me as a Velma. Um, he said, um, yeah, I don't suppose you'd think about coming and playing it over here. So um, at first I laughed out loud. <laughs> I don't know why I then laughed Then you tried to loud. hold them up for travel money <laughs> even though you were already here. I was already here. Um, and I – yeah, I just – thought it was the most wonderful opportunity to to do both i mean you know that that's the thing about these roles um for somebody who's trained as a dancer as well is because very rarely does a a, a lead female get to dance in a show it's um you know there's lots of wonderful female roles but not all singing all dancing all comedy all acting all 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 over the place <laughs> all countries so it's just um, too good an opportunity. Presumably, you've now done the show because I assume London is the same as, Chicago, as, as New York where the cast now is constantly changing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how many different people you've played both characters yes. opposite has got to be an, an interchangeable wheel that we couldn't even get into. Yeah. When you first started, you were playing Roxy and – Uta Lemper was the original Velma. Yeah. So can you think back to what your original take on Roxy was going into, admittedly, a production that had been first done in New York and Walter was coming over to stage it for London? Yeah, I mean, I I knew that that what Walter wanted, he'd uh, made it very clear to me that they were personality parts and that you know, who, whoever you were, you brought it to the role. There were certain parameters that, you know, we, we had, um, 
you know, certain goalposts and we had to keep between them. Um, but, um, you know, both Uta and I are very strong women and um, and he, he wanted two women who had a point of view on these characters. And we certainly did. I mean, when I... Uta left before I did. I think she left three months before I did. And I can't tell you how much I missed her because as, as wonderful as the next girl who was who came in, um, Uta is a very, very bright light. Um, you know, you can't take your eyes off her on a stage. And so, and this production, this piece, is about the competition between these two women. And I really, truly had competition every single night. And it was wonderful, and it gave both of us. We, you know, we we really had somebody um, to act opposite. And she left, and I felt like my I, I my competition had gone. Hmm. Not to talk about many of the other people you've played with. Have you ha- been able to get that sense of competition back at other times doing the show? I'll tell you who is the most stunning person that I had the opportunity to work opposite um, in this show was Sandy Duncan. Hmm. Um, I was Velma and she was Roxy and I thought she was absolutely outstanding um, because she just, um, she's that um, old-fashioned talent that that you you cannot teach anybody that. She's got timing. She can still kick her legs up and split any time you ask her. <laughs> Um, she's very few of us get the opportunity. Yeah, and really want to actually, but you know, <laughs> but she has. She's the most wonderful actress, um, and and she just brought something that was really very unique um, to Roxy. Which you know, I've seen others that I love. Of course, I have, um, but she knocked me. You know, off my feet when I watched. I used to watch her do it in the wings, the Roxy monologue, every single night. And I would be desperate to try and make her laugh. I don't mean um, corpse her or anything like that, but when I did um, Sister Act uh, after she'd done the Roxy monologue, I'd be desperate to try and make her laugh because I wanted to. I wanted to entertain her genuinely every single night. Hmm. I wanted to entertain her, and um, so I think that she is a, a true you know, national treasure here. And I I wish um, we saw more of her still on Broadway stage. I really do. You said that when you first went into the show, Walter explained it as, you know, their character parts. They want you to bring your character mm-hmm. to personality parts. Mm-hmm. Um, so how does that work when you're bringing your personality to two different roles? Um. Well, I think the essence of of Ruthie is quite a gutsy girl. So there was, you know, a lot of guts in both of them. Um, what what I found the, the the fascinating thing to me about doing Roxy all these years later is it's a very I have a very different take on her now. Um, you know, I was thirty one, um, thirty or thirty one when I did her in England, and I'm now forty three. So. There's life experience there that you don't have um, at 30 or 31. And it's been, for me, an absolute joy to rediscover Roxy hmm. 13 years later. So you did the Roxy originally, and this is your first time doing Roxy, and it's been Velma's in between. That's right. And with Velma, because I've always said people say, well, what, which one do you prefer? 
without a doubt, it's Roxy. But um, if you look at Velma, Velma has all the money numbers, what I call the money numbers. She has the one-liners, which she sort of says as she goes off stage, and they're the laugh lines, and she has the, 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 the money numbers, the, all that jazz, and they finish, and your sister act finishes, and, you know, the, uh, Velma takes the stand, finishes. It's, everything's big, you know. And Roxy, it's much more, you know, like the Roxy monologue. And then the Roxy song, it kind of finishes on a little tiny vamp and a pow, you know, and you've just literally done, you know, eight minutes hmm. on stage. And it's, it, but it's, for me, it's the actress part. It's, um, and I think much harder. I, I actually think Velma is an easier part. Given the span of time that you've had to work with the show, obviously a fairly successful movie version of it came mm-hmm. out in the midst of this. And first of all, did you see the film? I did see the film. Yes, I did. And... Did the film in any way impact you? I'll ask that first. Just did it impact you and how you looked at the roles? No, not at all. Um, it didn't It didn't impact me in that way at all. Um, I was really heartened to see that they had stuck to the script and that it really was quite close um, because often they sort of, you know, really Hollywood it, you know, they, they kind of do the whole thing on it and it, it becomes something different. Like I n- never forget um, a chorus line when they did the film, all of a sudden that wonderful, amazing song about how, um, what what I did for love being about you, you it's for the love of dancing, singing, acting, you know, we're, we're gypsies and basically we don't do it for the money because, it, you know, it's, it's never that great. Um, it's about the love of it. And, you know, when uh, they did it in the film, of course, they made it into romantic love. They made Cassie sing it about, you know, her love of her, the, the, the director. And it was so wrong because it, the heart of the whole heart of that show is about, you know, c- chorus members desperately trying to get a, um, a job in a show. Hmm. And um, and then it was all about this love story. And that's rubbish. Um so when the film of um, Chicago came out, I was thrilled for the whole success of it as well because how brilliant that we are now doing musicals that are actually, you know, becoming a success. Well, let me ask you the next next part of this question about the impact of the film. Do you think audiences perceive the show differently? Because prior to the film, it was not a show that probably lots of people knew, so they didn't come to it with expectations now since that release people come and and are probably sort of familiar with the material do you have any sense of 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 a difference no not none whatsoever um i haven't noticed what what i've noticed is that um people aren't disappointed by the show because often you can see a film um and uh you know the, the show isn't quite as you know spectacular but there, it seems to me that people can't get enough. If they've seen the film, they want to come and see the show, and then they love the show. And because of the the, the Wiseless doing this sort of, I call it the the celebrity revolving door. Um, I th- I thought it was an absolute, you know, it, it was a brilliant idea because it's kept it fresh hmm. all the time and constantly in people's vision. So I I I think they, it was the first show that really impacted in a way with their 
uh, with the publicity. If you look at the posters, everything was very sexy and male and female sexy. Um, and it was photographic instead of a logo, um, you know, or a, a cartoon or whatever it is. And, and that made a huge, huge impact. You know, people look twice at those posters. But it always makes me laugh, actually, because that um, occasionally you do actually see, uh, when you look out into the audience, that <laughs> there's, there's a male and a female, they're together, you can tell their boyfriend and girlfriend, and the girl, as soon as that curtain comes up, is leaning so far into him that she's almost sitting on his lap, because it's a kind of, you know territorial thing i think because all of a sudden these very angry women in black underwear start coming out <laughs> we get a little bit i think um a little bit insecure <laughs> well i've asked you two questions that have started with no answers let me see if i can go for three is there a difference in the response of audiences between new york and london to the without piece? a doubt without a doubt okay so at least i got one what what's the difference in reaction um well if you just look at the difference in cultures, you know, um, I, we always, you know, think Americans are very loud and, and um, you know, Americans are – they I think they know how to enjoy themselves. I'm sorry. You know, the, the audiences are much more responsive, much louder, much um, more – that the, they come for a, for a night out at the theatre, whereas I don't know what it is about English audiences, but we're all terribly very nice, you know. It's oh jolly good, you know. Don't want to disturb them on stage. We'll clap too loud. Um, and I think we follow the sheep an awful lot in England. You know, if there's a loud, leery bunch at the front, it kind of filters its way through. But it's amazing how audiences have uh, a personality of their own, and it, it's a lump personality. And the 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 strongest denominator wins. But without a doubt, we, uh, American audiences are so much better. You spoke about the way women protect their boyfriends or or embrace them in order to, uh, <laughs> to keep them in their seat. Um, does the sexuality of the show play differently between the two countries? Um... Gosh, that's a, that's an interesting one. Um, mm, no, I, see, I can't I, I can't say that I've noticed a big difference there. I, I think you see, I think we're a lot more by by the nature of English people. I think we're a little bit more uptight, you know, over there. So, um, but I think you know, sexy is sexy, you know, wherever it is, you know, if. if um, if there are beautiful women and beautiful men up on a stage doing fabulous dancing, I think um, whether you're English or American, you're going to, you know, um, be very taken with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's jump back and talk about y how you got started in your career because, as I've, I've already said, you, you were doing major roles pretty early. So when, when did theatre enter your life? Theatre entered my life because my mother was a film and television teacher and a drama teacher at secondary schools. And a secondary school in England is 11 to 18. And so um, and part of her curriculum on the um, film and television was um, musical movies. And, so, and we were one of the first people to ever have a, a video player because of that, because of her job. And, you know, went back when, listen to this, sound like ancient, but back in those days when they were big, 
they were huge and they had the clunkiest buttons. And I remember it vividly. You'd have to really hold your fingers down to get it to actually, you know, press play and record. Um, so I basically wore the videotapes out mm. watching all these MGM musicals. And that was really what what got me inspired in musical theatre. But I, I started in ballet. And um, and then when it was time to choose uh, where to go for a college, um, my ballet teacher said to me, I think you need something um, that's less disciplined than ballet and so you can break out a lot more. And she said, I think you need to go and train in musical theatre. Mm. Um, and, and had you been doing much singing before that or just singing around the house? Um, no, I, I, it's... It's interesting because the school that I went to, and I could have gone, gone to a number of secondary schools, but from 11 to 16, I went to a place called Buller's Wood School for Girls, and they had um, a modern educational dance teacher called Mrs. Tapp, would you believe? And um, so we used to do, there was a dance club every lunchtime. And by the time I got to 14, they had a, a, um, a dance exam, a CSE dance exam, which is modern educational dance. So that was being nurtured there. And we also had a music teacher who wrote musicals. And he heard... That can be dangerous. <laughs> well, thank goodness it wasn't. But, it, you know, um, and the, the drama teacher's husband used to write the the words to it. it used to write the, the, the script so we had these brand new musicals and how I don't know I just lucked out with the school I really did and that just cemented it all for me I, I couldn't get enough hmm. so you went to drama school I did I went to I did two years on the dance course and then I switched over to the musical theatre course for the third year because it was becoming um, more and more obvious that the singing you know, my singing voice was just blossoming. Hmm. And, uh, you know, when, when I first started, it was very loud. Um, it was a kind of, my old man said, follow the van kind of voice. And then my, uh, my soprano came in, and uh, the, the older I got, and it got stronger and stronger, and my voice started to sit higher and higher. And um, I just fell in love with the singing. So how fast after school did you start getting work? Um... I, my first summer, I, I left uh, my school early. I left my uh, dance college early because I got a summer season because then in, in those days, you had to have an equity card to work in England. And to get an equity card, you had to get an equity job, an equity-approved job, and then you had to get 10 weeks of work before they would give you your equity card. And, of course, now you don't have to have an equity card. It's nothing like that anymore. Mm. What was what was your first real break then in terms of – because I, I see that you there was a, a tour of chorus line. That, that you were was in. it, yeah. Was that really the first significant – It was the first significant one because I, I did a summer season to get my uh, equity card. But then I'd just seen the film of a chorus line and then all of a sudden in the stage was – they were looking for a, a chorus line. So I – couldn't believe my luck. I was number one out of 1,700 people that auditioned uh, for a chorus line that that particular week because it was over a week. Um, and I had five recalls. I remember it vividly. Wow. And I kept going down into the auditorium 
because I've been offered a cruise. This is the this is the arrogance of youth that you have. You know, I kept going down to the auditorium and saying, knocking on the auditorium doors and saying, "Excuse me, could you tell me whether I've got the job, please?" Because um, I have a cruise waiting. You know, I've got to know whether I've got to do the cruise or not. And um, I think I irritated them beyond because here was this, you know, nineteen-year-old who just. But I, I had no doubt in my mind that I was going to make it. Hmm. It never occurred. So you didn't to me. just cancel the cruise, though. You still waited for oh, them. Yeah, to tell I was you. hedging my bets, <laughs> hedging my bets. But I had no doubt that I was going to make it. And apparently, I used to say this. Um, one of the guys, Howard Harrison, who's now a lighting guy, um, but he was working at Cameron McIntosh's office. Um, when I was, uh, you know, 19, and I went into Cats. And, um, you know, he they phoned me up and said, are you going to um, extend your contract at Cats? And I said, oh, no, 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 because I'm going to be a big star. So I can't stay around here long. So I'm going to actually be moving on. And, uh, of course, the next job was a Cameron job anyway. It was Miss Saigon. But, uh, no, I, had, I was a very, very confident uh, girl, I knew exactly where I was going. And, and after Miss Saigon, I, I was in the ensemble for a year. And, um, and I decided there and then that I would never do ensemble again. It was not why I'd got into the business. I was 21. That was the last ensemble job I was going to do. And if I didn't get the leads, then I'd rather not do it. Didn't you ultimately get to play Ellen? Yeah, Ellen in Saigon. So yeah. where did that fall? That was you came out of the ensemble at some point during the run. Yep. It was quite. It was quite amazing because it was. Um, I, I truly believe that you know it's that intention thing. Whatever you have, whatever your intention is, it tends to happen if you go at it with all all you have. And I decided that I wasn't going to do ensemble anymore. And I I told them I was leaving um, at the end of my contract. And then all of a sudden, Ellen came up and I said I'd like to audition for that, please. And um, and I ended up getting it. Hmm. Well, just to jump back, because we went through Cats so quickly, um, you did multiple roles in Cats over the course of your time <laughs> with did. it. I think I counted four. There, maybe there were more. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I always, I, I'm always really corny about this, but I did play the whole litter. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, because I, I, uh, I did Bomb Ballerina, Demeter, Jelly Lorem, Griddlebone, Grizabella, uh, Jemima, which I think you call Syllabub over here. Um, but so how that was, was that because you were covering roles and got to go on, or was it literally you just kept moving to different no, roles? No, I was covering them all. Um, I, you know, I, I was uh, Jemima, and I covered all these roles because I was um, – I just – well, I loved it. Um, but because I could – my range was so big as well, I think. But um, – it was an incredible schooling. That's how I, I look at cats as well because I learned so much there. I learned so much about business. I learned so much about um, how – I mean um, when I did Miss Saigon because I think you learn something from every show. I learned about upstaging in A Chorus Line because uh, the Connie Wong had a moment where she was supposed to sort of do bad tap and I was doing – tap worse than her because she would my 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 thought back then was well she's not getting the laugh so i'll get it um so i was trying to be funnier than her and i remember they called a rehearsal and uh they were trying to pull me back pull me back pull me back and it wasn't until my friend who was on the line as well on the chorus line as well 
just said, and he said a rude word. He said, take the note, Ruthie. And um, he, he said, you're upstaging. Mm. And, he, and he shouted this at me, and I was absolutely devastated. But he was quite right. I was upstaging. Mm. You know, so I learned in a chorus line, you know what? You take your moments when you can take your moments. You don't take somebody else's moments. Um, and then in Miss Saigon, Claire Moore, I understudied Claire Moore as Ellen, and she taught me how to be an... Um, a leading lady. She was one of the first people. She was amazing. Um, the first time I went on, she, I knew I was going to be on because she was taking a couple of days holiday and she sent me flowers and she left a, a recorder on the top with all um, with the holes drawn in a diagram to show me how to get my top note to, to make sure I had it. And She left champagne in the fridge and she was so... Um, there was... There was I can't think of the word, gracious, gracious. And, um, you know, it's that thing that I think a lot of people in this business, and as you get older, you see it so clearly, that, that everyone thinks that the pie is not big enough, you know, for everybody. And you've got to have that, you've got to have the whole pie or, you know, somebody else is going to get the pie or a bit of the pie and then you won't get it all. And the thing is that, you know, there is room for all of us in this business because mm. we're all very different. And um, you never, ever have to steal a moment or be um, ungracious or horrible to another person in this business, which is why I hate with a vengeance. Um, I hate bad behavior. I, I can't bear it. Um, I can't bear it when somebody um, is a, a bad company member because, you know, it, it filters through. And I've always felt that a leading lady's job is not just the job on stage i feel it, you are the head of the company and therefore you know how you behave sets up how other people behave and you know i haven't come across that many people who are badly behaved in this business but the ones who shout the loudest tend to be the ones who haven't quite made it and think they should hmm. it's very rarely the people, I mean, you know, I've worked with uh, Judy Dench. I've worked with, you know, quite a few people in, in Britain who are what, and, and um, Carol Burnett as well. Beautiful, gorgeous spirits. Mm. Now they're fantastic and phenomenal at what they do, but they never ever have to scream, mm. or misbehave, or stamp their feet. And um, I just, I just won't tolerate that. You're talking about what you learned and certainly to have your first three major professional gigs be Chorus Line, Cats and Saigon, mm. pretty impressive. But in each case, you were you were coming into shows uh, or coming into roles that others had created. That's right. Children of Eden in 1991 would be, at least in terms of a major show, your first opportunity to sort of create a part. Mm. Um, I don't know what I, – I know Children of Eden has been done on and off over the years both in America and, you know, in England. But it was much more about creating over there. Very much. And so what was it like to finally do a new musical and to, to make a role? Well, that's what we – Oh, it's, 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 it sounds a strange thing to say, but for me, that's what I live for in this business is when those opportunities come along. Because unfortunately, as much as um, the, uh, uh, Chicago is one of the only shows that I've ever gone into and, and 
you know, I know I created Roxy, but I replaced doing Velma where somebody actually sort of, you know, I, I was able to tailor things to myself because normally you go and take over and there are, you know, th there are parameters that you have to stay within and somebody's already done the blueprint. And to do, I mean, Children of Eden was incredible because it was the first time I believe, and I could be wrong, somebody probably will, they'll, they'll ring in and say, I'm sorry, I know differently. Um, but, uh, you know, we played instruments on stage. We were actors playing instruments on stage, and this is years and years ago, um, like 22 years ago, 23 years ago. So maybe before John Doyle. <laughs> had people maybe. <laughs> John will ring up, but anyway. Well, there you go. <laughs> See, this is, I, I just don't know. But we were, we were one of the first to, to sort of in a musical to start playing, have the actors be the, the orchestra. And... Um, of course, it was Matthew Bourne who did the choreography, who was just literally beginning then to, hmm. to, to uh, you know, on, he was on the ascent. And uh, But if I spent another hour looking at animals or having to visit the zoo or what have you, I thought I was going <laughs> to scream. And if I see another meerkat, I will scream because I ended up playing a meerkat and we had to, uh, in the first half, and we had to study you know, whatever we were playing. Ugh. Stay away from Animal Planet Stay over here. Stay away from yeah. animals. Let alone Meerkat Manor. <laughs> so. but, but it was, you know, we, we uh, the, the set was incredible. I mean, it was this three-tiered world, mm -hmm. basically, a globe. And, um, and we had Ken Page. Um, that's right, isn't yeah. it? Ken Page, yes. Um, who, who was play, the original who Old Deuteronomy over here in Cats. That's right. So it, it was a wonderful experience, but of course we had what, – what was going on then? We had the foot and mouth. We had something else going on. 91 oh, the, the would Gulf have been the first War. Gulf War. That's yeah, right. it was a short It was a short run. It was, and it deserved more of a run because – but we just got kind of, you know, blown out of the water by mm. that. Now, what I find interesting is it seems like that same year you then ended up doing – it looks like a season at Chichester. I did. And in this case, not – all musicals. No, this this was another um, part of my school, my education. Because of course, you you, I went down to do Spear Carrier, I call it, but it was Lady in Waiting in um, Shakespeare's Henry VIII, because I wanted to do a Shakespeare, and I understudied Anne Boleyn. So I, you know, that was something I really wanted to do. And while I was down there. I auditioned for a play that was going on. It was Molière's A Sisterhood, and I got cast in this play. And then uh, I did uh, a new musical, which was called Valentine's Day, which was based on Bernard Shaw's You Never Can Tell. But in each one, one of those, I played three maids in that season. <laughs> a maid in each one. Were, it was your season of paying your dues. It was. And, and, and you know what? I learned so much. I learned so much. I learned so much of people like Dorothy Tootin and, and um, Keith Michelle and Tony Britton. There were all these incredible actors down there. And, of course, Jinin Lin was choreographing um, Valentine's Day so, and directing it. So it, it, I was learning from the best. Hmm. Only since you mention it, I'm going to interject. Your name is, in fact, Valentine Ruth Henshaw? It is. <laughs> Just... 
how did you come to be professionally Ruthie? I mean, I assume growing up you were just called Ruthie and that's mm-hmm. what you stayed with? Yeah. My mother named me Valentine. Whether I was a boy or a girl, I was going to be Valentine because she was watching a, a, a television, something on television with Judy Dench in it and her name in the whatever she was playing was Valentine. Hmm. And so mum fell in love with it while she was pregnant. So... Um, I was going to get that whatever, but I think they realized that it was a bit of a mouthful. <laughs> but you never became Val. <laughs> no, I didn't. And I think that's why my, my mother's such a snob that, um, that, you know, if anyone's going to call me Val, no, absolutely not. You know, she couldn't, she couldn't bear the, the fact that I'm, it might be, um, uh, you know, brought down to Val or Tina. Hmm. So that was it. I was Ruth. But professionally – one thing since you had such success early on to start as Ruthie now is there the urge at all to be Ruth Henschel or are you going to be Ruthie right on till the end gosh it did do you know what it used to cross my mind I I remember thinking you know what I will have to take the IE off at some stage when I get a bit older and I just haven't <laughs> you haven't gotten older that I, I buy that um <laughs> It looks like then next up, really, you did go into Les Mis mm-hmm. um, for a bit. But but let's let's move quickly past that um, on to um, Crazy for You because yeah. that was really a, another big breakout success for you. It had been done first over here mm-hmm. and, and then over there. Um, what was the experience of Crazy for You because you had done so many of these – Big musicals, mm. you know that were you know the the mega the musicals. mega musical um, chorus line would be considered one. But but after having done Cats, Saigon, and Les Mis, um, Crazy for You was a whole different style of playing, and yeah. presumably playing it as an American, they didn't mm-hmm. transfer it yeah. into a, some rural part of England. So so what was that all about for you? Well, for me, it was incredible because it was everything I'd ever dreamed of. It was an MGM musical on stage, and that's what had made me fall in love with the business. And I got to wear, you know, a copy of a Ginger Rogers dress, and you know, I, I you know, girl meets boy. They put on a show, save the theatre, and you know, run off into the sunset. And um, it was, uh, it still remains the the highlight of my career, the best hmm. thing the most exciting time of my life, of course, because that was when I was really sort of discovered, even though I'd been doing it for a while. Um, and it was incredible. It was everything I'd ever wanted to do. It was, the, you know, it was the singing, the dancing and the acting as a leading lady. And comedy. And comedy. See, I love comedy. I love all the comedy stuff. And um, I had a... a incredible uh, lead opposite me called Kirby Ward who um, comes from a, a family that did a lot of variety. I don't know if you've come across him. Well, he's, uh, I think, originally West Coast and he toured in the show That's over right. here for a long time, mm. if I remember correctly, with his wife. That's ultimately. right. She was my understudy. Really? Yes, in London. Yeah, she, you know, beautiful couple. Um, but, I, you know, I just, I couldn't believe my luck. You know, it's Gershwin, Gershwin and... You know, also, of course, it was um, Susan Stroman who 
and uh, God bless him, Mike Ockrent. Yeah. And they fell on in love on that show, you know. So um, it was very special for them. But um, she is unbelievable to work for because there is something about her you just desperately want to please her. She's a bit like Sandy. I was a bit, you know, with her um, like I was for Sandy because she... You know, we were doing this heavy tap show and she would literally just look like she needed to say something. She actually lost her voice, I remember, during rehearsals. But she would look like she was just about to say something and everyone would just shut up because you had such respect for this woman. Mm. And like um, some choreographers before her, you know, some people who really sort of made their mark on musical theatre... You know, she did. She came along and did that thing of putting people in a line, doing all the same thing again. You know, um, the the um, I've got rhythm at the end of the first half. It was incredible. Hmm. It was an incredible number, and th- th- that wonderful sight of the girls coming into Nevada. You know, just I'm so surprised it hasn't been revived. I am hmm. so surprised. Hmm. Well, it's it's probably coming due soon. I but, think it is. But it is one of those cases where sometimes, you know, I think over here there's a tendency to really want to wait if there was something that was so well done because the feeling is everybody remembers it. I think yeah. in England there's more of a tendency, at least with plays, I don't know how it falls with musicals, not to worry about whether it got done four or five mm-hmm. years ago. I mean, there was. I think such... the rule is about ten years or something. Mm-hmm. It seems to be in England that if it's if you've got ten years behind you since it was last done, then you can probably give it another outing. Right, because certainly over here there was such surprise uh, that uh, La Caja Folle came back to Broadway only five or six years after the last production. It turned out to be quite successful, but. It went against the rules. Did it? Re- you did Lacage about five or six years ago. At most, yeah. So, it's, wow, I'm surprised. I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, that as you say, the rules. It was. It was not the normal pattern. Mm. But again, I always look to the English stage and say, when it comes to classics, it's not unusual to find three different productions of the same Shakespeare play in a season at mm. major theaters I in know. London. So. So whether there's there's more freedom in the musicals or not, you talked about being ambitious and, mm. and those 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 first auditions. And I was that dirty word. Um, so crazy for you, huge success. How long did you stay with it? Did you stay with it right up until She Loves Me came up? Um, no, I I actually left not knowing what I was going to do next. Um, hmm. But I this is why I, I always laugh about. Um, uh, Chicago because I've never done a show for longer than a year that's that's my tops and I'd done a year in Crazy For You and uh, Kirby Ward wasn't able to stay on they couldn't get a visa for him to stay longer mm-hmm. and I didn't want to stay without him anyway so um, I ended up leaving auditioning for She Loves Me and, uh, and getting that um, which was uh, you know, a real stroke of luck because, you know, it's one thing to do, um, to have a success with one show, but then to go on and have an, a, a success with a second one that's, a, you know, a, albeit is an old show, it was a new production of it, hadn't been around for years and years and years. So to create another role as such was... And in immediate succession, 
really? in immediate succession, yes. It was incredible. And, um, you know, it got the most Olivier Awards any show had ever got before. I think we got six Olivier Awards. And before that, I think there'd been something like five on Phantom or can't even remember now. But hmm. um, it was a, a huge, uh, it was hugely acclaimed production, but it only lasted a year. <laughs> but, you know, we were in the, who knows why, but we were in the Savoy Theatre, which was kind of tucked away. But I truly believe if it had been done in the at the National or at the Don Mar or wherever they do them now and, and transferred it, it would have been a huge success. <laughs> was it the case that She Loves Me was a show that had not, in fact, been seen in England in a long time because... We had a revival here in the mid-90s and it was like the show was new because it seemed so many people hadn't seen it in so long. That's was right. that part of, of the case over there or is it a more familiar show? Um, I – no, it's not a more familiar show. I mean it, this is the same production that came, mm. the one you're talking about. Then, you know, we then had it over right. and that's the one I did. Um I don't know. I, I will never understand why it didn't have a longer run. I can. I will never understand that. Interesting. Well, you know, there's one thing about She Loves Me, which is it's gentle. Mm. And one of its greatest strengths is that people just float out of it. They don't go, it's buffo. It's, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so sometimes it's hard to sell things that are gentle and sweet. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it, it's frustrating when you know that you have something utterly beautiful like that, and it was beautiful. Um, you know, the, the people, you're absolutely right. People did float out of it. I, I, I could guarantee that if I could send anybody, any one of my friends, cynical, romantic, um, you know, hard to please, uh, easy to please, wouldn't matter. Everybody who came to see that show that I knew just fell in love with it. We the next show for you was uh, that I, that we came up with was uh, Oliver, mm-hmm. revival of Oliver. Clearly, Cameron McIntosh, um, sort of sort of a godfather for you because that Cameron's had the rights I, to mm. Oliver for as long as I've known. Mm. Um, so you played Nancy in that. Yes, I did. And it's funny you should say that because he—that's absolutely right. I've—I've I've called him an angel before, um, but you're—you're kind of right. Yes, yeah, like a godfather. Um, I've worked on and off for him for years, um, and uh, you know the wonderful thing about him is n- not only does he know what he's talking about about productions, and he's—he just—he's got the eye. And I think to the point where some directors just want to say, would you just lock him out of the theatre until I've finished? Because, you know, he's got an opinion on everything, and quite rightly so. Um, it's his money. Um, but he um, he's very loyal. He's a very loyal man. Um, and if you work hard for him, you know, he he's there for you. He doesn't, you know, he wouldn't do it if you were talentless. I, you know, I know that much. Um, but, you know, he's a, he's a very good man. Hmm. Skipping a few things, I want to bring you to New York. You you said, as we talked about Chicago, that you sort of came over here, packed your bags and mm. got Chicago. But what was in your mind? I mean, here you are. You've had a series of successes. You're well-established in London. And you came over here 
without any immediate prospect of being hired. Mm. How hard was it to start to be established? I mean, you've mentioned, you know, you'd worked with Stroman, you know, there, you were done production and worked with directors who were crossing back and forth. Mm. Other than the luck of running into Walter Bobby, what was, what was the immediate experience of coming to New York and starting to try to get work? Well, I already had a, an agent over here. And um, I came over here, and funnily enough, three weeks later, after I'd come over here, I got the encores that I did, first of all. Ziegfeld um, Follies of 1936. That's right. So I sort of stepped into that. Um, but Is that when Walter was running encores? I can't no, remember the timing. No, it wasn't. Oh. No, so it was completely by accident that we bumped into each other, really. Mm-hmm. Um, it, was, um, it was that side of me that I have which is that when I know what I want, I go out and get it. And I had – Chicago had been a real sort of – you know, I'd done all these incredible things in England and then there was this huge peak with Chicago and I thought, where do I go next? Hmm. And I thought, well, I can keep doing more musical theatre over here, do the next show, um, or I can go and sort of make my way on Broadway. I'd always wanted to do it and – I didn't want to just wait until an opportunity presented itself. Um, I wanted to make the opportunity. So I did. And um, I went and um, – I well, before. It was interesting. It was a, a, a director called Chris Renshaw. I had lunch with him in England way before this. And uh, he said he – was, he wanted to talk to me about The King and I. And as we were talking, he said, you know, you should get your green card. He said, um, you, you know, I, I think I think you'd love it on Broadway. And he just – I walked straight out of that meeting and I found myself a lawyer. And, um, and I went for my green card and I got my green card. And so that's why I showed up with my three suitcases because hmm. I knew I could work. But it was slightly as, – as much as I had a, you know, a, a good reputation and I had a lot of good work on my CV – it is like starting again to a certain extent because, you know, there are a lot of people over here who haven't seen what I've done. So I had to, you know, sort of step in the room and go and audition again after not having to audition for years. So that was kind of interesting to, to remember how horrible and terrifying an audition is. Hmm. So as we said, Chicago, Walter had already worked with you. He knew what you could do. You had that opportunity. So then – Getting putting it together, mm-hmm. which had, was a show that had been done in a prior and separate production off Broadway mm-hmm. a few years earlier. Um, the roles are, let's say, loosely defined mm-hmm. by character because it's really all songs. So, what was the experience of getting into? Putting it together, and what did what was what was the experience of, of getting Eric Schaefer to say yes? She's she's the younger woman. Oh, I hate to tell you this, but it was another Cameron gift. Uh, <laughs> of course, the relationship between Cameron and Eric has gone back. So there that's you go. right. And he said um, he because he helped me get my green card, uh, mm-hmm. Cameron. As in, he wrote a letter um, to say that you know because you have to have people say there's nobody else who can do. Th- what she does, which of course is rubbish in this business because we all know that we're replaceable <laughs> and you have to remember that. And that's when you don't get 
crawl too far out of your box. Um, but uh, yes, he 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 knew I was in the states because he saw that I was in the states doing um, Chicago. Mm-hmm. So he then called my agent and said, "Would she do this on Broadway?" And so that kind of came about while I was doing Chicago. So all these jobs mm-hmm. kind of just. Yeah, 1999 was a really good year for you. <laughs> you you just kept going through that. I did. And you mentioned how wonderful it was to work with Carol Burnett. Oh, do you know that woman? Just incredible, incredibly easy and brilliant. You know, she just doesn't seem like she has to work hard at what she does because she's just funny and hmm. brilliant. But um, she had a dressing room that, that I forget where it was. It was the Barrymore, I think, theatre that we did it at. Not particularly very nice backstage, you know, small rooms, tiny rooms. We all, you know, you had to go up one floor for each dressing room. You know, there was, then they were like a toilet. And um, so there was no sort of main area. And uh, she had the, of course, the number one dressing room, which had a a dressing room and a, um, like a sitting room. And uh, she said, I'm fine with my dressing room. She said, I want my sitting room to be the green room. So she turned the mm. one half of her dressing room into the green room so that we could all actually play bop it. That was what we used to play an awful lot. <laughs> People wonder what actors yeah. do when they're not on yeah, stage. Yeah, we were playing bop it. But, and I, I, I thought it was such a, a beautiful and, and again, uh, um, a gracious thing to do. Um, I, I've been lucky enough to work with some beautiful leading ladies and um you know each one you just have to take some pearl from them um and she was a beautiful human being Hmm. it was interesting to me when i was looking at clips that in 2001 when you went back to london to do peggy sue got married immediately people are saying ruthie henschel's come back (laughs) it's i mean you don't you'd you'd been here for a few years, but it wasn't like it had been this gap of 15 years yeah. since you've been on the stage. But was there was there a sense of, oh, she'd gone off to be in New York and now she's come back? And was there any... I think people did think I'd kind of decamped, you know, mm-hmm. I'd, I, that, that I'd moved here for good, which at, at, at one stage I really felt like I had. But then um, I met uh, the father of my children... Um, I, I met the, the man I married, and uh, it then a job came for me up there. And, and by the time I was pregnant, and it, which you know we we started a family quite quickly, I, I really never got back here mm-hmm. um, until I suppose it was a couple of years later, and then I came back and lived here for a while again. Mm-hmm. Um, Peggy Sue Got Married was an adaptation of the Francis Ford Coppola film. Mm-hmm. Um, you played the part played by Kathleen Turner in the film. Um, it's a musical that did not go on from London. Mm. Did it work? Because we didn't get to see it. Do you, oh, yes. From inside it, do you, do you feel it worked? It absolutely worked. Hmm. Um, we opened and was it three or four weeks later, 9-11 happened. Mm. So all of a sudden, um, London was a ghost town. Nobody was flying. Um, we had no tourists. You know what it's like on Broadway. We yeah. absolutely depend on our tourists. And so um, it just absolutely, the 
theatre collapsed for us and it mm. didn't make a recovery like it did here. Mm. I, it was really beautiful what happened here, actually. Um, but uh, And it was another show. It, it absolutely, we were, we were gaining an audience and it deserved to run. Um, and it deserved to be a success. The only thing I didn't like, and I'm, I, I do apologise to, um, and I, isn't it awful, I can't even remember his name now, but the set was absolutely awful. Mm. Um, it was not a great, it, it, it did not work. It wasn't awful, it just did not work. Um, but the music was wonderful. It was Bob Gaudio, who's, of course, you know, wrote lots of the stuff for, well, of course he did, because he was part of the Four Seasons for um, Jersey Boys. Right. So you can tell the kind of music it was. It was fantastic music. Um, the book uh, needed, you know, some rewrites, um, and I think that the writers were a little stuck on that. But um, basically, it was a really good, fun show. And it was a victim of timing. It was totally a victim of the hmm. timing. Interesting, because it certainly was a show we all heard about, and I've always wondered mm. what you know what really happened with it. No, and I think I think, then think it because of Jersey Boys, it all kind of got, um, you know, they they were then getting on with that, and it it all just kind of got put on the back burner after, you know, and the trouble is, it's like. Um, same with Marguerite. Marguerite was a really wonderful, worthy show. But if it's not, you know, another one that came along, the banks all collapsed, you know, another bad time in, in, in you know, <clears throat> another recession. But, um, but that's theatre. It's the first thing to go is the theatre. <sighs> and, um, you know, they, they are worthy shows. But you, if, you, if they go on... And they aren't a success that first time. It, you can't really move them on anywhere because hmm. they, because they have that um, sort of associated with them as being, you know, of not being a success. Well, you've mentioned Marguerite. I was going to ask about it. A show by Schoenberg and Boubliel, oh, the yes. authors of Les Mis and Miss mm. Saigon, and also Michelle Legrand. Yes, I mean, look at that creative team and Jonathan Kent as the director. Hmm. It was one of the most um, stunning it, uh, experiences of uh, – it, it ranks right up there as, as the whole experience of creating something. I'd uh, never done it to that extent. Um, what do you mean to that extent? To the extent that um, originally uh, – first of all, it was something that Alan had written for his wife, a vehicle for his wife. Um, and – because they were going to do it in England, um, it, it was just difficult for her as a French woman who, d you know, didn't speak a lot of English and what have you to, to then bring it over here and for it to be an English production. Um, so I stepped in at about the, well, the second or third workshop. I can't remember what it was. But then, of course, it began to be tailored around me at that point. And, you know, the the... Uh, the range of the songs, um, you know, it, it just to create a role like that with Michelle, and that was how closely you worked. I would literally be at the piano with him, and he would say, "No, no, no, try this or try that." Or we need to, and all of a sudden, a song was born that hadn't been there before. Hmm. It was just, you know, phenomenal. And Alan and Claude, um, who are, you know. 
I mean, how stunningly brilliant are those boys, you know? Um, they know what they're doing and they know how to put something together. And it was a, a, a fantastic piece. Um, it was, once again, we got, we were a little, um, it went a little astray with the, the story because and we mended it after opening night, unfortunately. But it was very hard to be sympathetic to this woman, Marguerite, who was the mistress of an SS officer and sleeping with a piano player, fell, falls in love with a piano player. But she still sort of ends up going with the, the SS officer through a, a number of circumstances. And, you know, he's a horrible man and says he's going to, you know, kill the piano player. So, you know, but um, she wasn't a very sympathetic character. Hmm. And that's what a lot of the critics said, you know, that it was hard to be sympathetic with her. But then we wrote a couple of other scenes in, which really sort of worked. But hmm. it was past opening night then. It's always tough. Mm. So after Marguerite, now you're back here doing Chicago. What does ambitious Ruthie Henschel want to do whenever you rap with Chicago? <laughs> oh, we see. Um, I do feel like I'm starting to – because I've just – you know, my children are five and seven. And the last few years of my life has definitely been about them um, and will continue to be about them. They are the number one priority in my life. Uh, they come first. Um, but I'm now starting to get to that stage of, oh, yes, what do I want to do now? Because it, it, it's been about them and whatever has kind of come in has come in and I've, you know, we need to pay the mortgage, you know, you do it and then wonderful things like Marguerite come along and... And then you get to come back into Chicago. That's great because this is how I earn a living is eight shows a week. Um, and I'm very privileged to do that. Um, I want to get more into um, – there's lots of things I want to do actually. But I'm writing a book at the moment um, about uh, – and I'm sort of downloading 25 years of musical theatre business into this book – so that it's kind of, it's going to kind of be like a masterclass in oh. in a in a book because there's lots for acting but there really isn't for musical theatre and I, you know, I, f I feel I've got a fair amount to say on my experience in the business and that's all you can do is give your experience, but it will be experience of people like you know producers, directors, casting directors, you know, so that people have a, a way to look at how this business works and what works, what doesn't. Um, what casting directors want to see, you know, simple questions that I would have loved to have had answered, you know. Um, you know, one of the questions I'm going to ask Andrew Lloyd Webber is, um, Andrew, if you are looking for somebody for, for a musical of yours, should they sing one of your songs? Hmm. People ask me that all the time. I mean, you know, is it right to go in and sing an Andrew Lloyd Webber or should I sing something different? Or, And in actual fact, that's one... I don't know, so I'm going to go and ask the man himself. You know, I'm going to interview. Well, that's interesting. So it's not just – it's not a memoir of your no. first half of your career. It's no. really looking at what you know and perhaps what you still don't know and that's, trying to communicate that. That's very, very interesting. That's absolutely right. And um, and I also want to uh, – at some stage, I'd, I want to get far more into mentoring as well. Um, I – I can't say that I could be a, uh, a constant teacher, as in I don't, 
I'm not a drama teacher. I'm not a singing teacher. I don't play the piano. I, you know, it's that's not what I do. Um, but I do love performance coaching hmm. um, and and bringing performances out of people. So um, I'm kind of the, there's a lot that I'm looking at that way. And these these are all things that are off stage. But um, I want to I want to give back a lot more because I feel that I have been so deeply blessed and this business has been so amazing to me um very kind and very generous to me and so i would like to give back and however i can do that that's one of the things i'm looking at and i'm looking at doing far more um making far more of a concert and recording career which i keep saying i'm going to do but then shows come along and um but i would like to I, I'm I'm starting to do more concerts. Well, actually, I think you've got some concerts coming up mm. in the fall in England. I yeah. saw a tour announced. Yeah, and I've well. been asked to go to and do a tour of um, Australia as well hmm. um, next year. So, yeah, but you know what I'd really, really like to do is I'd really like to do some drama television, some television on dra- hmm. uh, drama on television, and some plays. Um, but definitely the drama on the television side of things because doing eight shows a week is, you know, it's what I do and I love it. But it's, it's very hard when you have children because I don't see them during the day they're at school and then I get home and where we live in England, um, I see very little of them because then I have to leave home at four o'clock in the afternoon. So I get an hour with them in the morning, mm-hmm. an hour with them at night. And I find that quite tough Hmm. um because they are growing up so quickly and it's going past such a rapid rate that i just want to hold on to these moments with them so i'd like to find something to do that's more you know uh, that's that's not eight shows a week because that is you know your day does revolve around it i have to I have to think about whether I've got a voice. You know, I'm supposed to take care of my voice, although, it, <laughs> you know, having children, it's very hard. <laughs> you know, on your day off, the best thing you could possibly do as a singer and in this show, because I do a lot of shouting in this show, and is to not speak for 24 hours. That ain't going to happen in my household. <laughs> well, I can say clearly from everything that's come so far, whatever you decide to do next, you're going to do. And on that note, Ruthie Henschel, thank you so much for being with us today on Downstage Center. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Our engineer for this Downstage Center program is Chad Bernhard. Our researcher is Craig Thompson. Our director of web development is Rob Perry. And our producer is Gail Yankosik. Downstage Center is recorded in the CUNY TV radio studio at the City University of New York's Graduate School of Journalism in Manhattan. Along with this program, all of the educational and media work of the American Theatre Wing is available online, on demand, for free, from americantheaterwing.org. You can follow ATW on Twitter at The Wing and follow me as well on Twitter as H.E. Sherman. You can also declare yourself as one of The Wing's fans on Facebook at The American Theatre Wing. If you're a regular listener to or viewer of Wing programs, we hope you'll consider giving us financial support to sustain our work. Just visit the website and click on Support ATW. For Downstage Center in the American Theatre Wing, I'm Howard Sherman. Thanks for listening, and no matter where you live, I hope we'll see you at the theatre.